Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. It's Chase Travis Live Show here on Creative Live. I am so happy to be here, and I'm, I consider this—I consider myself very lucky to be in your ears right now. So thanks for turning this on. And in exchange for that gratitude, I'm going to deliver some fire today. No guest. The guest on this show is me. Actually, I am reaching into my quiver of keynote that I have given and you know I speak all over the place this particular keynote was delivered to the creative mornings community which if you're not familiar with that community it is a breakfast lecture series um, created by my good friend Tina Roth Eisenberg aka Swiss Miss who has herself been on the show before Uh, she was a part of the 30 days of genius series as well these talks are uh, hosted all over the world and the theme of my talk is bravery it's creativity and bravery. So I talk a, a, a fair bit about my own experience um, and bring in some folks like Ansel Adams and Macklemore who have used bravery and vulnerability to prepare their careers. And if you're saying, well, what do I have in common with those two turkeys? I'm here to tell you a lot. Uh, we're all in this together. We all have that same talk track in our mind. And I explore that in this talk. And I think you'll find it valuable. I'll just, I'm going to say, I think you're going to, I think you think it's a badass talk. We explore the, the concept that I haven't talked a lot about publicly called the art of more, putting more of yourself into your work, putting more of yourself out there. And these are things that we could all benefit from. At the core, I mentioned is bravery. We talked in, uh, talk a lot about personal work and for me, how that has been a massive catapult in my career and how anyone can do that. It doesn't require a big budget, doesn't require um, knowing a bunch of fancy people. It's all about you. So that's what I love about it. It's instantly actionable. And then uh, we there's some really good audience questions that we follow up with. That's often my favorite part of the keynotes that I give is being able to hear from you. And so there's a good little exchange. I know you're going to love this and it's baked with value. But do let me know what you think of the show on the socials. So with that, let's get into the show. But before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, (laughs) super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Good morning. I, I, let's just like, 
relaxes a little bit, right? Chill out, this is not some sort of formal talk. I wanted to say a huge thank you for having me. Uh, most of the work that I do is unfortunately not in Seattle, so I'm trying to sort of bring that back and to be able to connect with you guys this morning. Um, to receive uh, the gift of an invite to be here makes me super, super happy. So uh, I, I, I wanted to say thank you. Um, what an awesome fucking town we live in, right? Isn't it incredible? God. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of, of work today, past and future. Um, but the, the title of the talk uh, is Ansel Adams to Macklemore, Grit, Gut, Gumption, and the Art of More. And... Um, the art of more, I think you guys know what all the other words mean, but the art of more is probably a little bit, um, it's, the, it's the one little nebulous thing that's floating around out here. And the art of more, in my mind, is more of yourself in your work. It's more uh, making more work and putting more work out there in the world. And to me, that is the essence of what I have been able to do uh, in, in my career. There is a lot of fear based in this stuff. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, what was some of the other words we were using last night, Kate? Help me. You said you wanted to be a public speaker, and now I'm, I'm calling you. She realized she doesn't right now. It's my moral support. She just realized she, don't, she doesn't want to help me. Um, but. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of fear, and so that's one of the things we're going to talk about. And the first piece that I'm going to share with you is my most recent film. Um, it it's had a very, very limited release, um, but I, I guess I'll just, I'll just show it here. This is actually a, a film I made when I was uh, six. It's called The Sons of Zorro. I was just stabbed there. There's me back at the, uh, back at the castle getting treated. My compadres, that's the princess. She was looking at the hose around the corner there. Um, they run off to, to avenge my injury. There they are fighting the bad guy, obviously, in a black pirate hat. We stab, stabbed him. That's actually Chad Saddam. He was my next door neighbor. Uh, and then they go off looking for the princess that had been captured. They, they save her and return. Oh, that's the princess and the queen hugging. That's us high-fiving swords together. And we run off into of the backyard. <laughs> so I'll never forget that film. Um, it was not a recent work. It was the one I made when I was six. Um, wrote, shot, actually I didn't shoot it because I starred in it. Um, Derek Trollson, the bigger, the taller uh, compadre of mine, his brother shot it. One take, amazing cinematography, won awards all over the world. The soundtrack is also, you can get on iTunes. Um, but that movie was made through the course of washing cars in the neighborhood over the course of about three weeks, four weeks, saving up enough money, buying the Super 8, um, shooting this film, making the costumes ourselves, and, uh, and then developing it. Then we did another round of car washes and raised more money so that we could uh, uh, buy, um, what is it called, concessions. And then we screened this film to a sold-out audience of 26 people in the Trollson's basement and, uh, and sold all the candy. And it was at that point that I really realized that making stuff is, you know, could be something that I did for a living. But there's something that I really want to talk about here, which is, like, that sucked, let's be honest. I mean, it's cute, right? We're cute, it's kitschy, it's neat, but it's not a good piece of art. But 
I think what was uh, meaningful, and when I talk about the art of more, it's that I made it, that I screened it and put it out in the world, and that it was something that was very personal to me. It was a, it was a, uh, there was fear and anxiety built up in that, in that uh, releasing that film, but I did it. And that's what kids do. So one message is we have to keep enabling our kids to do shit like that, okay, straight up. I just gave a talk in front of 3,000 people and I surveyed the first like 20 rows and the average age of people making something and remembering it and feeling good about it was like eight. That's messed up. Now I'm preaching to the choir with this group, um, but the point is that overcoming fear and conceiving this art of more as a fundamental practice in what it is that you do and make, uh, I, I, I hope that if you leave with anything today, that the idea of, of putting that stuff out there in the world, this is clearly imperfect. There's something around the art of imperfection that we need to value as a culture. And if you guys feel like throwing tomatoes, interrupting me, you have a question, you may. Okay, if there's something that's pressing. We, we're going we're gonna to have a nice Q&A at the end. I have a feeling I'm going to run long because I'm verbose, but kick me. Uh, enjoy this video, please. How many people have ever had a pair of Air Jordans in their life? Yeah. One time. Um, I might have to look at a piece of paper to remember this. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, it goes like, make the money, don't let the money make you. Change the game, but don't let the game change you. To hip hop, I'll forever remain faithful. To all my people, stay true. And I said, make the money, don't let the money make you. Change the game, don't let the game change you. To hip hop, I'll forever remain faithful to all my people stay true. Now, I was seven years old when I got my first pair and I went outside and I said, mama, this air bubble here, this is gonna make me fly. I hit that court and when I jumped, I swore that I got so high, I touched the net. Mom, I touched the net. This is the best day of my life. <laughs> Air Maxes were next. That air bubble, that mesh, the box, the smell, the stuff and the laces, the tread, that texture red, red. At school, I was so cool and I knew that I couldn't increase them. My friends, they couldn't afford them. Four stripes on their Adidas. On the court, I wasn't the best, but my kicks, they were like the pros, yo. I'd stick out my tongue just like Mike so everyone could see that logo. Nike Air Flight book bag, my godfather bought me, that was so dope. Then my friend Carlos's brother got murdered for his fours. Whoa. He just wanted a jump shot. They wanted a starter coat, though. Didn't want to get caught rocking one of those round Genesee Park and Othello. You get clowned for those pro wings with the Velcro. Those were not tight. I was trying to fly without leaving the ground because I wanted to be like Mike, right? That was my role model. I wanted to be him. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to get rim. 
I wanted to be cool, and I wanted to fit in. I wanted what he had. America, it begins. All right, you guys recognize that cat? <laughs> he happens to be like one of the most famous people in pop culture right now. I feel lucky enough to call him my friend Ben, and I was talking to you all about trying to get him here at Creative Mornings when he slows down from his rocket ship ride to uh, somewhere out of the solar system. But let's talk about that. First, that was uh, from a thing that I do called Songs for Eating and Drinking with another friend named Michael Hebb, who has uh, graced this stage as well. Um, what we do is we get artists together, we serve them a great meal, and songs sort of naturally rise up. That was a hip-hop summit that we put on with all of Seattle's hip-hop groups. That was immediately after he got out of rehab, he was living in his parents' basement. Uh, he'd just gotten off a cough syrup and pot and uh, wanted to get back and do something amazing. What did you see in that moment right there? There was vulnerability, he had a piece of paper, for those of you who know his work, that was actually the first time he'd ever performed that, which went on to become two multi-platinum songs in his repertoire. So that he created it is one thing. That he put it out there in that environment, those were his peers. That was the entire Seattle hip-hop community gathered for dinner. He needed to read it off a piece of paper. It was so fresh and so new. But that is one of the things, when people look at Macklemore's success, like, fuck, that guy is everywhere. Can I say that here? I'm sorry. I, don't... <laughs> sorry. Um, I think we're streaming it on the internet. I just, I got shocked somewhere. I've got a shock collar on. <laughs> um, but the, like what he, I think we think of him as just an under, unbelievable world-class superstar, which he is. But he got there maybe more than anyone in our culture through vulnerability. He wrote a song that starts out with admitting that he thought he was gay in hip-hop. I don't know if that resonates with you. That's a big freaking deal. So that sort of vulnerability, the imperfect nature, which with he was willing to put it out there, is a key component to his success. I, don't, I, I, I believe that with my heart. Um, so... It's nice to see something recent like that. It's very relevant. He's a superstar. Uh, but let's talk about maybe someone who's truly iconic. Truly iconic. Ansel Adams. Uh, you might recognize this as a picture of the Snake River and the Grand Tetons. It's one of his more famous pictures, used by permission. Um, it's harder for us to grasp this idea of imperfection when we think of someone that is at the, on that stage, one of the most iconic artists of the last century. I think there's a belief, at least I held a belief for a long time, that he just wakes up in the morning and it's perfect. His pictures are perfect, he has his hat, he gets on, you know, takes his eight by 10 camera, drives out in the landscape, puts his camera on top of a truck, makes a frame, goes home, smokes a cigar, calls it good, repeat. His picture's selling for millions of dollars all over the place. That could not be further from the truth about Ansel Adams. Ansel Adams was a musician and he used his musical craft to get him in the door in front of rich patrons where he was playing the piano and then between breaks playing the piano, he would inform the patrons about his photography. That is how he first started selling his work. He sold images for between 25 cents and $3. His images were on menus at local restaurants. He performed theater 
at the Sierra Club in order to pay for his habit and to pay for what it is that he wanted to do. It was only way late in his life that he started achieving dramatic success because he made his images limited. All that stuff is very, very imperfect when we think about the trajectory of an iconic artist. We think he wakes up and shits gold bars. <laughs> but he doesn't. He earned it, he got beat up. And if, for those of you who are worried about how you're pricing your art right now or that it's not being recognized, would you put your image on a menu? Would you sell it for 25 cents or $3? Ansel Adams did. All that is not the path that we are told is the path to becoming one of the most iconic artists of the last century. Again, imperfection, the art of more, not just doing more, putting more of yourself in there, sharing that work more. And there's one other one that I forgot already. Um, there's another takeaway I just want to touch for a second. Is he's a rule breaker, right? Rules, for those of us uh, in the room who uh, like to break them, the rules are put there by the institutions and by the people who have made it. And the irony is that very rarely did they observe any of those rules through getting there. So don't forget that. Are you recording this with your Google Glass? This is really interesting. Only the good parts, I hope. Um, so the theme is bravery, I was told. Uh, and um, I feel like bravery and unique and personal work, that, to me, is a great vehicle for getting that out, out there. Um, personal work that breaks the rules. And it is the place, more than any other, more than any client work, that allows you, in my opinion, to put yourself out there, to, to exercise this art of, art of more. I see personal work as the vehicle for practicing this. And ultimately, when I've looked back, because we really can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? I think Steve Jobs said that better than anyone. We connect the dots looking back. And when I connect the dots looking back on some of my, um, my work or my achievements, it's, it was always the personal work that made it, that, that made, I feel like, that made the difference in my career. Um, there's a project called Seattle 100. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It, it was a three-year project. I, uh, I enjoyed the little joke that you guys made with Brian about his project. What's it called again one more time? We Make Seattle. We make Seattle. He's going to have it done by spring. Good luck with that one, buddy. <laughs> uh, this took three years. Um, and in the process, again, the risk and vulnerability, I feel like I put myself out there. I invited what I consider to be the 100, a 100, actually I did 106, because it is really, it's a Seattle 100, not the. Um, I, I made a choice. I curated a list of 100 people, roughly, and invited them into my studio, and I photographed them for between two hours and 10 hours each. That's a big project. It took me three years to complete it. I hosted these people. I put it out there big time that I was doing this project. Fortunately, I didn't have a single no. And we can talk, that's a, you know, how to, how to work a project like that is a, is a different story for a different day. But again, the most vulnerable thing I had done ever in Seattle. My, my work was, I was working all over the world. I was living in Paris at the time, traveling 150,000 miles. I came back to Seattle because this is where I was born. It's my roots, I wanted to connect, and I really felt like I had to turn myself inside out to do it. Here's a short little video for those of you who don't know much about the project. It's just a minute. That, that many 
different cultures can thrive and collide with each other. That's always evolving and changing and some people go and some people stay. It gives a really skewed feeling about Don't pay attention to those words on the screen the there. United States of America living here, I think. It's just, you know, it's Seattle. There's dogs and beer. Where do you go get your hair cut? <laughs> That's one thing I must say. People can make movies out here. Somebody make me a video, please. About a movie. Nowhere else do we have a freeway park. There's no one who just built a lid over a freeway and called it a park. I like to go to the Sounders games on the light rail so I don't have to park. Yes. <laughs> when Ballard has good food, you know we're doing well. <laughs> Bauhaus, the coffee shop up on Capitol Hill, to die for. How do you not want to go there and drink coffee all day long? Certainly the late 80s were a really great time for music in Seattle, but so were the early 90s, the mid 90s, the late 90s, <laughs> and the last 10 years. So Seattle seems kind of easy. <laughs> to, like, here's all the buttons, just press them, look. Anybody that's not from Seattle should know it rains here all the time. You'll be miserable if you move here. I love being with people who stimulate my imagination, accelerate my imagination. And that's what this core group of people do. It's kind of a reverse AA, you know, a bunch of people who all had the same addiction and were like, how can we take steps further into this abyss? Those words over the people's faces were totally not distracting, right? <laughs> it's imperfection. It's imperfection. Yay! And I really don't care because I, I hope that we can think and talk beyond that. But the point is that that is a project that meant a lot to me. And I invited all these people over the course of three years into my studio, put out a book. The book was supposed to be 70 bucks. I wouldn't sign the publishing deal. I had some leverage because I had a large social following. And I wouldn't sign the publishing deal unless the book was $39.99, which if you bought it at Amazon, makes it 26 bucks for a 250-page hardcover art book. Um, and that was to democratize this idea that we own our city, that we have access to it. Um, and along the way, there's the book. This is Laura Peace Kelly. Um, I did a nice gallery show. I don't know if any of you had the, the um, opportunity to attend that. That was down in South Lake Union. Um, yeah, we did a little website. It was a very, very interactive project. Um, there's each of these people said what they loved about the city. They put that in an interactive website so you could find, it was basically the world's coolest guidebook by a hundred of the most influential people in the city. Anybody recognize that cat? That's John Isley. Is it John? No, not John. Yeah, that guy, Jay Isley. Inslee, there you go. Sorry, I know Jay. I'm really up on politics. I fucking love politics. I love him. Anyway, he's the governor and he crashed. He crashed my opening. He wasn't invited. I'm not even kidding. So ultimately, the, uh, the, the mayor, uh, the last mayor, <laughs> um, he also did an economic impact on this, on this uh, project and determined that instead of business leading development, that culture leads development. If we invest in culture, that actually business will follow. So you never know the work like, this is a personal project that I was sitting in my hammock one day and said, I want to communicate, or I want to collaborate with somebody on this list. Like, somebody started out with a list of like 20 people. I want to do something with some, oh man. And then it was like, wait a minute, the project is the list.
And when you sit at that, in your hammock at that moment and you discover that, that's personal work, you have no idea really what, what work that art is going to do in the world. In this case, I felt like it went on to help shape part of the community that we're living in right now. I feel very, very grateful. That is a question. I think I recognize a hand in the air means a question. Either that or you're number one. I am number Yes. <laughs> The first 20 people were people that were very close to me in my circle. Do you want to know the, like, the names of those people? Yeah, so Linda Dershang, uh, Michael Hebb, um, David Minert. Uh, help me, Kate, help me. Um, sorry, it was like 82 years ago. Um, but I think the point that you're asking is, is really, I started from my core community, and, and instead of me pretending that I was able to nail it and just make that list of 100, I was able to use that group and ask them questions, basically curate as a group, as a, as a project together to get to the next layer, to get to the next layer, to get to the next layer. And it turned out to be a, a marvelous way to build a project. And uh, I highly recommend that, Brian, if I can help uh, in any way. Yeah. You're a public speaker now. Yeah, Sherman Alexi. I was not friends with Sherman Alexi. I was not friends with Dan Savage. And ultimately, when you sort of got a critical mass, those guys were like, yeah, I'm absolutely, I'm in. And to be able, there's a side benefit of now to be able to have a community like this in the city is something I'll never forget. It's, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for it. Uh, a little tidbit follow on there is that all this money, my book advance, all of the money from the sales of, the, of Prince and whatnot um, went to profit, went, or went to a nonprofit called, uh, went in my pocket, <laughs> went in my pocket, and that's how I'm standing here today. Um, basically, all of that went to For Culture, which is a nonprofit here in Seattle that, that uh, drives art projects and is a liaison between the city and, and artists. Did a Seattle 100 wine, did a Seattle 100 chocolate bar, 1,000 cases of both, all of which sold out. So if we think about the topic of my talk, which is risk, um, uh, being imperfect, uh, I hope that this stands as sort of a marker of, look at, I didn't know if this was going to work. I think there's this, like, this belief that, oh, yeah, he's got it all figured out. I hadn't, I hadn't even been living in Seattle for the previous three years when I did this. So... You get it. Songs, reading, and drinking is another example. Uh, I already showed you a quick video. I need to, quick, I need to move a little bit faster than I uh, have been to date because we've got, uh, I got one minute left. <laughs> I got 25 slides. Songs, reading, and drinking is a great example of a similar project. Uh, as I mentioned, we gather artists, people from the likes of Pearl Jam, Stone Gossard, would come to dinner with 20 people. You'd have Stone Gossard sitting next to Tilson, who was in that film, who's Former, uh, he's a, a rapper here in Seattle. Uh, he used to be the front man for the Saturday Nights. Now he's got his own project. Can you imagine Stone, Gossard, and Tilson sitting next to, the other, and next to one another? And then at some point, standing up, and Stone is playing an F-sharp guitar, and Tilson's freestyling over the top of it? That never happens. It could have been a fucking disaster to put those guys together. But ultimately, it turned out. And there's the risk of putting it out there, again, the art of more, of sharing more of yourself. To me, I felt like I was incredibly vulnerable in throwing a dinner party in a place like that. That's an airplane hangar. 40 people at the table. Mad rad. That's Stone and Tilson performing there. Head like a kite, you guys know Dave? 
That's Rocky Votolato. That's Mark Arm from Mud Honey on the roof of the Sorrento Hotel at 2 o'clock in the morning, fully plugged in. They played a full set. Cops got there as soon as they stopped playing. It was perfect. Um, another project that is, again, looking backwards, um, where I feel like vulnerability, risk, um, being willing to put out imperfect stuff uh, paid off for, for me. Um, the short version of this story is that uh, I, at that time, uh, this was back in 2008 when this was really, uh, actually, yeah, this, the project really kicked off in 2008, but in 456, I was taking pictures with my cell phone. It was a flip phone. You guys remember the Razor? That was sweet, right? I remember standing in line taking pictures of the croissants uh, at Zoka Coffee, where I get my coffee every morning over there in Green Lake. And uh, a friend of mine who was a photographer was in line. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm taking pictures. Like, that's not a camera, dude. What are you doing? And the irony is that I had just gotten back from shooting an ad campaign in New Zealand. And at one point during that campaign, there were four helicopters full of people flying 50 minutes into the middle of nowhere to make, and this took, this was a, a three and a half week project, let's call it a month, to make six final ad pictures. Probably 40, 50 people, four helicopters, every day flying in and out of the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. Now, that I feel like is supposed to be the pinnacle of creativity, the pinnacle of one's career, yet, zip me back to the line in Green Lake and I'm taking a picture with my, my flip phone and trying to find ways to share it. Fast forward, when the iPhone first came out, we were able to start sharing. It's a two megapixel camera. I was able to start sharing these images and it, it occurred to me that I was having to use four, five, six, seven, eight apps to do that. I was my Facebook app and there was a handful of apps that, that they had made that were approved. Uh, somewhere in around 2008, they made it so that we could uh, build those apps ourselves. I was lucky enough to build the first iPhone app that shared images to social networks. Ended up being a sort of a big deal, the whole internet and photo thing, in case you missed it. Uh, and I'll save you the, the failure part of this story. It went to number one in the App Store. It was on you know, Apple commercials. It was on every device in every Apple Store worldwide. Uh, I was on ABC, NBC, CBS, every, every newspaper. Um, Wired Magazine was App of the Year, New York Times App of the Year. Uh, there was a little, there was a failure later on. But the point that I'm trying to make with this is to be able to launch a book, which is the world's first book of mobile pictures, to stand behind as an artist who's known for shooting campaigns for world-class Fortune 100 companies, and to stand on a platform, on a global platform in front of you know, millions and millions of people and say that I like this camera, I was totally ridiculed. Totally ridiculed, you guys. It was like, are you a joke? This is a farce. What are you doing? And again, putting myself out there, making work. I'll show you some of this original work. Now, this is 1.0, right? This is iPhone 1.0. Putting this work out there when you've just finished shooting campaigns for Nike and REI and Volvo and McDonald's. Samsung, Google, these pictures are, they get a huge WTF. That's Cafe Press. So to me, again, looking backwards, have I been vulnerable? Absolutely. That is the key in my personal 
opinion, to my success. It, wasn't, it, wa it hasn't been an abundance of talent. It has been more an abundance of will, willing to share, willing to put myself out there, and willing to uh, fail, actually. Be imperfect. A couple other quick things I'll wrap with. This is Chase Jarvis Live, which is uh, a live show that I do once a month. Um, I get to invite, ultimately, people who have inspired me. This is Mark Echo. He was an uh, airbrush painter, a graffiti guy, who built a billion-dollar business out of his parents' garage. I get to sit down with Mark Echo, with Adrian Grenier from Entourage. Macklemore performed there when he had 20,000 Twitter followers. I saw Ben in the coffee shop. Zoka said, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, I'm trying to get my album out there, man. I said, come perform. I'll, you know, we, we broadcast to about 50,000 people. It was a good thing. <laughs> it was good for both of us. Um, but let's talk about the risks there. That's live. I think we're live right now, aren't we? Shit's probably breaking. Because live is hard, Brian. You know it. And so live is hard. It's dangerous. Weird shit happens. The audio breaks. Uh, and when the audio breaks and 50,000 people are getting free, great content from a world-class person that they never had access to, they go like, Oh, I can't believe it. My audio doesn't work. You know, it's free content. Have you seen that bit by Louis C.K.? He's like, the guy sitting next to him said, oh, the internet doesn't work. He's like, you're flying through the fucking air at 600 miles an hour. And you didn't even know you had Wi-Fi until five minutes ago. Same thing. That's funny. It's his. I can't take credit for that, but it's, it's a funny, funny joke. Anyway, I've said the F-bomb too much. I'm going to go one more project, which is a little project also very risky to start this thing. This is 100% bootstrap. It's a little company down the street here in South Lake Union called Creative Live. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the short version is that um, we unleash the creative power of millions of people worldwide by connecting them live with the world's top experts. In short, uh, take people who are in photography, filmmaking, design, and put them in front of a live audience and broadcast them. Imagine a TED Talk, but instead of 18 minutes, it's one, two, or three days. We started that from the grimiest warehouse in South Seattle. We took a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer, buddy of mine, a guy named Vince LaFerre, threw him in front of the camera. 50,000 people showed up to watch. We have a business model that anyone in the world can watch for free. You only have to pay if you want to own the content. And that business was born. And now it's a Greylock-backed um, business that has educated more than 2 million people in every country in the world. And it's growing super, super quickly. Uh, so again. That was, that's based on a live platform. There's a ton of risk in live. It is putting myself out there. I had to talk all of my friends into coming together. The, audio, the, the crew was volunteer, by and large, because we had no money. We were bootstrapped. And to be able to now look back, and the company's got 80-something you know, employees, offices in Seattle and San Francisco. To me, those moments from creative live through songs for eating and drinking, the best camera, again, connecting the dots going backwards, they all, to me, exhibit the art of more. Um, more of myself out in the world, more risk, more making of art, and more sharing of art. And what did I show you that was professional? What did I show you that was commercial? Nothing. I feel like there's a belief that you are defined by the work that you do in the marketplace. I actually believe just the opposite. I do that work to fund all the other cool shit that I want to do. If I had one thing to give you guys, aside from the art of more, it's that that is, has been for me a really, uh, a really great way to work. Uh, the message today, you guys, is a simple one. It's be brave. 
Um, seek the imperfect. Please allow yourself the freedom to step away from perfection, because it's only then, uh, as I've shown, I believe, with Macklemore to, to Ansel Adams, and in my own experience, it's only then that allowing yourself to be imperfect, to take risks, to put yourself out there, to create more work, to create more of yourself in your work, and uh, to put more work in the world that you can find success. Thank you. And now is my favorite part, because I don't have to, like this is like just to be able to speak and connect with you guys and answer questions and ask questions. I, I think someone, you might do some exercise. Is that what you do? Do we feel like we need the exercise? Do you guys need an exercise or can we talk? I, I am good at this. I can repeat questions when they are asked. I do it on the show. So I'm, I'm aware of that one. I can do it. Um, do you want me to do the running man? Yeah. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> um, So any questions, you guys? I would love to be able to have a look. Yes, sir. How do you get, uh, so you're communicating. Hi, Kyle. Hi. <laughs> uh, so part of my product is I'm trying to actually communicate what you're communicating to us, but to them. How would you, um, how would you let them, or I guess communicate to them to be vulnerable, to create work, to put themselves out there in the product? The best way of doing it is showing it. You have to live it, dude. If you don't live it, like talking about it, giving lip service to something like being vulnerable, you think it just, it's just not sticky because there's no credibility, there's no authenticity. Dude, put it out there. Take your pants off, Brian, dance. <laughs> like, that's, like, it just, you know, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I want, uh, the sentiment is not weird. So, the, again, the question, for those of you who didn't hear it, the question is, what do you have to do to get other people to buy what it is that you're telling us, Chase? And the answer to that question is that you have to demonstrate it. If, if you have small children, model for them. Show them the behavior that you want them to do. And I'm just doing the same thing to, to my audience. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that the people who pay attention to what I do, there's, there's never at one point in my career I said, I'm going to build an audience. I started just putting stuff out there that wasn't out there that was interesting to me. And in truth, I had no idea what the hell I was doing when I wanted to become a photographer. I dropped out of medical school. I dropped out of a PhD program in the philosophy of art. I abandoned a career as a professional soccer player to pursue the one thing in the world that I wanted to do more than anything, which is to be a photographer. My parents, my poor parents, they were <laughs> brutalized them. But the point is that I, I, that was very, very risky. So I've actually lived the thing, that vulnerable life, and in order, and I look, I'm still way inspired by Ben uh, Macklemore. If like he has done it in a way that that's hip hop, you guys, they have gold teeth and shit. <laughs> and he is going saying, I think I'm, I might be gay. I'm not sure. Like that's huge, huge. I think Vipassana was the bigger risk. Vipassana was the bigger risk. Yeah, how how is that? Because that was way off the edge. Yeah. yeah. In what way? I need more information. Saying it was way off the edge, but why is it way off the edge? So when someone, okay, when so, I get it, I get it. So Vipassana was more, so when he did that, what did you think? Let's just, quick survey here. He's human. Great, he's putting himself out there in a way that we all only wish we could. I still look at what Ben does and I'm like, wow, man, that's bold. More questions? 
maybe we should go to the exercise so you guys loosen up a little bit and start asking some questions. Not for you. You. You have your pants on. <laughs> you good, sir. I do too. Um, <laughs> what is the, how would you like find the distinction between like bravery and like truth or sure. honesty? Question is, how would you find the, the, did you say the difference between? Yeah, how would you find the ground between sort of bravery and truth and honesty? So I don't actually understand the question yeah. <laughs> because you, I feel like you answered it yourself. In, in, a, in, a, in a single sentence, how do you find it? You're speaking it. Like, it's, it's something, it can't be over there. It has to be over here. That's one of the things, and I've had the good fortune, you guys, of mentoring some amazing artists, aspiring artists, that people are on rocket ships. And what I find when I talk to them is they think the answer is out there. Like, oh, I want to do it like he does it or like she does it. And the truth is that you need to make art that no one in the world can make but you. That is how you become sticky in popular culture. That is how you actually get traction. And it's not ironic that that's how you actually stay true to yourself. This truth, this sort of, like, if, if you're caught in some cycle of out there instead of in here, that's totally understandable because in here is really vulnerable. Do you guys know the work of Brene Brown? Brene, she's ended up being a really good friend of Oprah's. She's been on the Oprah show a couple of times. She's a vulnerability expert. Her TED Talk is phenomenal. And it's basically about putting yourself out there. She's going to be a guest on Chase Jarvis Live on January 15. Um, and it, like, to hear her talk about this part, getting out there in the world, is something that I can't put words in her mouth because she does it way more justice than I do. But I just know that if you can take a picture that no one in the world can take, it's not a picture of the Space Needle, right? It's a picture that, like, the, the work that I'm doing that no one else in the world can do is I have unreal access to guys like Ben, to guys like Adrian Grenier, and my peers in the, uh, you know, some of the, the top venture people in the world, and some of the artists, and I get to hang out with these people and, and see them in a way that no one else in the whole world gets to see them. So I'm developing a body of work now that is around that. And so the picture that I can take is very, very different than the picture that anyone in this room could take and walk up to Ben because they're not friends with him or they don't get to hang out with him or put their feet up on a table or whatever. And I haven't hung out with Ben in a long time because he's too fucking famous now. Yes, good sir. Uh, what's the coolest shift you feel like you're making? What is the coolest shift I feel like I'm making? The coolest shift I feel like I'm making is admitting vulnerability and admitting that I'm scared shitless to put it out there and that when it comes back tenfold, I'm just like, oh my god, it worked. <laughs> So close. Um, and for a long time, I felt, and I still do, I feel like trying to, to lead, um, to, to be fearless is a great way of going into the world. And I, I want to like, make sure that you understand the difference of going into something fearless. I really can do that. I, I feel like I'm, I'm over fear. I've done that exercise of what's the worst that can happen. And generally speaking, it's not all that bad. I'm not going to end up homeless on the streets, and my friends are all going to hate me. None of the work that I'm doing is that type of work. But to be able to um, be fearless and actually talk about being fearless and talk about actually all of the shit I had to go through to become fearless, I, it, there's a lot of drama in my personal um, path to getting to where I was, or to where I am as, a, as an artist. There's a lot of ego wrapped up in it. There's a lot of um, not wanting to show vulnerability. Not want, I, I was a self-taught artist. I never assisted a day in my life as a photographer. I had to pretend I knew what the hell was going on from day one. 
You know, fake it till you make it. You may have heard that. It's super dangerous. And I didn't sit well with me. But that's how I actually got through that first part. And it was only after I was through and looked backwards, I was like, wow, that was totally unhealthy. <laughs> so, yeah, now we're, I like it. More questions. This is good. Yes. Uh, when you come up with an idea, what is, the, what is the beginning point of a process of an idea to take it to that next level? The question is, what is the process of a kernel of idea and then it going out there in the world. And my process is very simple. All my good shit happens at 3 in the morning when I'm sleeping. And I used to go back to sleep. I don't anymore. I've built a life and built a schedule that allows me that when I have a good idea, I stop everything and I go write it down and I think about it until I can't think about it anymore. And then I put it down and then I go back to it. And that was a very gracious um, introduction that I have a lot of projects on. I just opened a restaurant with Ethan Stoll. You guys know Ethan? It's a really good restaurant. It's called Market MKT up in Tangletown. I don't advise being a restaurateur. I'm not one of them. I just have to be good friends with one. And anyway. Um, but the idea of that restaurant, as an example, is this is an amazing space. I want to bring more people into my community. I love food, front to table. Who are my friends? Do they want to be a partner in this? And whammo. It's really about having a lot of ideas. And I don't f I, I, one of the things I'm trying to learn and rationalize and, and deal with myself is, like, if you've heard that adage about advertising, there's probably some agency folks in here, 50% of advertising money is wasted. You just don't know which 50%. <laughs> Same thing with ideas. And, but I, I will go on record by saying that the ideas that I actually began wholeheartedly, whole hog, that I thought actually had no value. That's actually in part why I pursued them, have yielded the biggest values. So the iPhone thing is a great example. I was taking pictures to get away from this world that I thought was big and creative when you'd made it and you had all this shit and people and that actually had nothing to do with it. I wanted to escape that. So I started taking pictures with my iPhone and then I wanted to share it. And I was getting tons of shit from my friends about it. And the internet, you know, I was disseminating information about how to shoot with this new camera. And, and it's like, oh, and here I'm taking iPhone pictures. And uh, that, ironically, turned into the best camera, which, again, was a, well, Instagram sold for a billion, so it was worth a lot of money. Uh, other questions? Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. I hope you guys got a few hours. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So the question, again, was um, there's been a lot of struggle in the online education space. You at Creative Live, if I misspeak, let me know. You at Creative Live have actually figured out a, a, a business model that works. It's sustainable. It's by artists, for artists. And where do I see that going? Uh, for me, this is, I think, um, creativity, you guys. Creativity is the new literacy. Uh, there was this thing that happened when the printing press was invented. Before it, uh, literacy was reserved for the clergy, the wealthy, the royalty. After the printing press, when we realized that, wow, it's actually a great value in society when everybody can read because we can communicate. Um, there's a word, there's a dividing line there. Before it is called the Dark Ages. <laughs> After it is called the Age of Enlightenment. So I believe very concretely that creativity is the new literacy. And everyone in here, I feel like I would be preaching to the choir, but 
for those folks, if you've read a Seth Godin business book lately, he calls all his people in those book artists. If you listen to Mark Echo, Mark Echo hates the term founder. You're the founder of a company. He's like, were you walking through the woods and did you find your company? <laughs> no, you built it, you made it, you created it. His venture firm is called Artists and Instigators. So that creativity, whether it's E equals MC squared is theoretical science and, and creativity combined. The wheel is mechanical engineering and creative and, and creativity combined. So creativity is for everyone. And I feel like that Creative Live is on, that's my email, sorry. Creative Live is, I believe, on the cusp of blowing all that wide open. And um, again, it's free. No one, you don't have to pay for it if you have access to the internet. And the goal there is to transcend the three previous largest barriers to education in the world, which have been geography. Right? If you live in Mozambique, it's hard to get access to the world's best. Um, it's, traditionally, education is very expensive. The average 2013 graduate is going to owe $35,200. That's messed up. Right? And of that cross-section, the creatives in that owe generally the highest, or the highest 10%. I don't know if it's because we're bad with money. Or <laughs> 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 so, um, geography, uh, geography, it's not how you pronounce geography. <laughs> geography, um, cost, and then access to the world's best. At Creative Live, we have Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the world's top entrepreneurs, guys like Reid Hoffman, the billionaire who created LinkedIn, are on that. Tim Ferriss, the Far Out Work Week, Guy Kawasaki, Vincent LaFerre, um, Gail Tattersall, the, the, the DP for the TV series House. Like, these are the people that are teaching the future of creativity in our, in our world. So I hope that answers your question. I think it's mission critical, man. And everything, art is but a subset of creativity. All the way at the top. Step one, do shit like this. Show up here every day that they have it, because if you came on other days. <laughs> Become a part of the community. I, I hinted at, at doing a restaurant. That wasn't, that wasn't so I could just eat good food. It's close to my house. It was for the community, right? And then I become a piece of that community when I'm living in it. So to be able to have peers that are having the same sort of struggles that you are, to have mentors, and to have people that you can mentee. Is that, no, he's the mentee, that you can mentor. Like, to me, that is the foundation of, and that's one of the reasons that I did the book, Seattle 100, to be honest with you, is I looked around and all these artists were siloed, very siloed. The film people were hanging out with the film people, the architects with the architects, the restaurateurs with the restaurateurs, and the musicians were like, I'm like, what am I, let's, let's cross-pollinate all this stuff. So uh, that's what I did. I actually undertook a project that that manifested the thing that I wanted to see in my city. Um, I understand this seems like a little bit of hand-waving. I would put you back to the presentation that I gave, which is like, do the work. Put yourself out there and make art, take pictures, whatever it is that you do, that no one else in the world can take or make, and get those out in the world. Community, and then as an individual artist, that's the kind of work you have to make to get recognized. Full stop. Yes? You good, sir. Your, um, ultimate dream project that you realized, yeah. 
Oh, seriously, man? Um, my, the question is, what is your ultimate dream job that hasn't been realized yet? Uh, I'm not interested in a, a inter an entertainment-grade feature film. Not interested in that. I am interested in uh, a feature-length documentary um, to be able to bring something to light and to bear and do it on a global stage, uh, to walk on stage and grab a, uh, one of those trophies. I forget what they're called. Um, that would be that would be interesting. I feel like that's going to be later. I don't. To me, right now, I'm putting a lot of energy into finding out who I am as an artist, doing a lot of fine art, just being very very specific about the commercial projects that I take on. They're not. If they just ask me to take pictures and hand back over the ad campaign, I don't do it. It has to be something that's 360 and creative live. So I'm juggling those three things in hopes that when I really um, when I get to the next phase of my career, that that thing will be in front of me. And between now and then, I'm just going to keep putting my irons in fires. So I wish I had a better answer, but it's a good question. Uh, yeah, you've been really persistent. I like it. Yeah, persistent. Um, uh, Portrait of a City, how did that come about? And uh, um, that was a really beautiful effort. Thank you. Um, the question is, Portrait of a City, how did that come out? Uh, I just, I think it just aired this week, um, a TV show I did with PBS here in Seattle. Um, and it's basically the Seattle 100 brought to life in video and put on television. Um, it's interviews with people who have changed culture in Seattle. Um, the one that's out now is music, uh, where I interviewed um, Macklemore and Dave Minert, who manages uh, the Lumineers. Um, Josh Rosenfeld, the founder of Barsook Records, um, Megan Jasper, the EVP of Sub Pop Records, John Richards, John in the Morning, um, interviewed all these folks and asked them about music and its relationship to our culture. So it was born from Seattle 100. It's the TV version of that. And um, if you want to underwrite it, I'm sure they'll allow you to. Yeah. Yes. Uh, how, how many? Th this morning? <laughs> uh, I love that question. The question is, tell me a time in the world or in your career where you were told no and you pushed through it. I feel like I can say with a fair bit of honesty that it's almost every project has some no in it. And it's trying to show rather than argue about it. That just to demonstrate rather than, um, than, than fight about it on a point-by-point -point basis. Um, nights and weekends are when a lot of the best stuff in the world gets made. And if I hear a no, I usually will find a way to take that thing and make it a, make it a personal project, even if it's within a project, and actually make the thing. Because nothing demonstrates something, A, the product or the project, and B, the conviction you have behind it by going away and saying, no, I can't do that. Oh, shit. Well, here it is for consideration. If you don't like it, we don't have to use it. And actually doing the work, not just like, oh, man, I would have done this. I should have done that. It's really actually finding a way to make it. So I hear no all the time um, is a short answer. Some big no's were, can you release an iPhone app that shares images to social networks with the touch of a button? Can you add a cool effect? Take a picture, add a cool effect, and share to all your social networks.
Can't happen. I was told that. Um, can you release, can, can you create an online education company with PayPal, duct tape, household bleach, a volunteer crew, and a free, <clears throat> a free shed to film it in, and can it, be, can it turn into a very substantial, one of the fastest growing education companies in the world? Yes, you can. Um, on a smaller scale, at an individual job, um, the, the work, the shot that I want to shoot is not the one that takes priority, the one that the, the client wants, the one that's drawn up in the, you know, the storyboard and the, how the storyboard unfolds to shoot a commercial or whatever. I always shoot that first. Always get in the can and then say, let me try one thing, because there's a confidence that they have after you've already nailed the shot. So it's a whole series of no's, and actually there's a, I wrote an interesting blog post about getting used to hearing no. No is, is a great catalyst in my mind. So let's keep going, because I love this. I would stay here all freaking day. So I'm going to try and keep it moving, because I know some of you guys have that thing called work. Uh, yes. I know I looked over there, but pointed at you. Head, head fake. Yes, it's from conception to publish. Okay. Um, assuming you didn't intend for that to take three years. <laughs> no way. That's crazy. I didn't deal with ridicule. The people in the project. I tried to be explicit. Like I don't know how long this is going to take. Um, I know it's hard. I hope you'll you're bear with me, and that by the end, I'm, my goal is to make something that you're proud to be in. Uh, and I managed every single aspect of that project. Very close. I mean, a whole team. I, just, I didn't personally manage it, but I watched every single thing so that I knew that the end product was going to be great. Um, again, the question is, did you find ridicule or, or what was the other one? Ridicule or pressure to complete it? Pressure? Hells yeah. A lot of pressure. When you have a publisher and you have basically 100 of some of the most influential people in the region, you've said you're going to do something. But to me, that's, what, that's that sort of when fear congeals and, and drives action, putting yourself out there, that is what generated the largest reward for me was completing it. So absolutely reeled with fear, imperfection. The irony of the Seattle 100 project is I, shot, I started that project to become a, a badass portrait shooter because I'd been action and lifestyle all over the world for big brands, and I wanted to just crush it with portraits. What better way than to have 100 really important subjects and spend a lot of time with them? So in the process of doing that, the thing that emerged for me was my portraits need to be, there needs to be some imperfection in them. It's not the moment, it's the moment just before the moment or just, the, just after the moment. So I had all kinds of fear around what, what kind of pictures I was going to be able to deliver. And I had all kinds of fear about the pictures that I edited. I didn't say, which picture of yours do you like? I picked ones. I picked ones of Josh Rosenfeld from Barsook. You can't even see his face. He's holding two CDs in front of his face. Like, that's, there's a lot of fear built up in that. But I'll, ultimately, pushing through that fear, I feel like, is what created an immense amount of respect around the project. And uh, it made me be able to give this talk today. So only one more question? So much pressure. <laughs> um, I felt a lot of pressure. I heard no once when I wanted to go for a long time, and they wouldn't let me. <laughs> One more question. You, good lady. What has been your biggest failure? My biggest failure. This is, let me think about this one, because I've had a lot of them. Um, I think my still hurts. one that still hurts, they all still hurt. 
Um, I think a real failure it was my ability to make, my lack of ability to make best camera the defining um, photographic app that changed the world of mobile photography. It was first. For the people that are in the know, you know, I've seen interviews with Kevin Systrom, who is the founder of Instagram, where they, he clearly goes on record and says, yeah, we looked at, at uh, Best Camera, and it seems like they were doing good, but it stopped. And the short version is that I had a dispute with my developer, who will remain nameless, and we had to stop development. And we had a year and a half head start on everybody else. I was told that it was worth you know, nine figures, $100 million or more. And the ability that I lacked the ability, actually two things, fear. I was afraid that if I became an entrepreneur, that I was no longer an artist. That's social pressure that is bullshit. Straight up bullshit, okay? Artists are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are artists. I wish I had known that five years ago. I would be a billionaire. So it was a clear failure by la my lack of ability to A, recognize that, B, take action on it. Um, I got a lot of phone calls the day that Instagram sold for a billion dollars. And I have a little bit of pride knowing that, it, you know, that the thing that we created had, had in part kicked off this mobile photo sharing craze. But I, I, it stings today, but it stings in the best way, like, wow. To be able to get up from that and make something like Creative Live, which I truly believe can be even larger than that, is that's my, you know, get knocked down seven times, stand up eight. I can't ask, I, I, apparently I'm cut off, you guys. Thank you very much. <laughs>